Welcome to Retro Enjoy your voyage. Voyage. To Retro Groove. I'm Adam C. And I'm Liam D. And this is a podcast where we talk about music that stands the test of time, the albums and artists that have shaped and reshaped the sonic landscape, as well as covering new music from those artists. Today, I am super stoked about this episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, side A, we're going to talk about what we've been listening to, some music news, and some community questions as usual. But on side B, we are going to dig into the sordid history of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater game soundtracks. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? So great. I can't wait. I mean, such such a cool history there. Um, it was my exposure to a lot of this kind of punk, ska, hip hop even. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I'm sure it was for a lot of other people too. It was really important to those bands, um, mm-hmm. and excited that the series has, has come back, um, and, uh, kind of carried on the, the tradition. Yeah. So we've got the Tony Hawk's pro skater one and two coming out for the Nintendo switch this Friday, June 25th. And it's, it's out on other platforms right now. Um, uh, but that has stirred a lot of conversation about, the music, which was a huge part of the games. And, um, there's, there's been a lot of, um, folks in the vinyl collecting community that have, uh, been sharing their pickups, uh, because they, they repressed the soundtracks on vinyl as well. I think at least the first one. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's just something that is current and exciting. And I cannot wait to dive in and talk about a lot of these songs that, you know, we've heard hundreds and hundreds of times trying to beat that one level that was giving us so much trouble. But before we get too deep into it, Liam, happy Father's Day, dude. Yeah, How you was your too, day? man. It was pretty good. Just took it easy. Um, you know, didn't make a, a crazy deal of it. I feel like you, know, you try to get out to a restaurant or something and do, fighting for reservations and waiting and nah. all that. And just just you know, just had, had some fun with the family, spent some time, bought some super soakers and ran around in the yard and yes. just, just, just had some quality time, which was great. How yeah, about you? Same here. We didn't do a whole lot on purpose, you know, made breakfast at home rather than going out, mm-hmm. um, got coffee, went to the toy store, let the kids run around and grab whatever they wanted there. So it's just, you know, yeah, I would rather have a chill day, spend the time with the family and it's it's really relaxing. So it's it was a perfect day to chill and and then now I'm ready to to dive into this. It's gonna be but great. You got to go to the record store today too. I did go to the record store today, and that was the one thing where, you know, I'm definitely not the kind of person that wants to take a Father's Day or a birthday and be like, mm-hmm. I want this time to myself. I'm I'm never like that. But they did let me run into the record store and not hound me about how much time I was going to take. Not that I take a whole lot of time anyway, but uh, that was something that we did do today. And I was grateful for it because I got some really cool pickups. Speaking of which, uh, I picked up the 
first ZZ Top album, aptly titled ZZ Top's first album. And I've been looking for that one for a while. It seems to be kind of a little bit more difficult to find, at least in the wild. And uh, I just love early ZZ Top. Um, Their their first four or five albums in the 70s before they started to kind of change their sound and, you know, incorporate a little bit more, you know, new wave and, and sunk influence yeah. in the, in the early eighties. Um, not that that was bad, but it's not my favorite to listen to. You like the bluesy no. kind of grittier kind of. Absolutely. Blues, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll pop on Tejas or I'll pop on Tres Hombres and I'm in hog heaven. I love I think it. That's pre beards so. basically too, right? Like the, the beards didn't really become established until later on. That was like the notable thing, but I don't even think they really had the long beards in this first album or two. Yeah. I don't believe so either. Yeah. Um, that I think that was part of their kind of reimagining of the band. And, um, you know, as you get older, that just kind of happens naturally anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about how far back that first album was 1971. Wow. So, you know, they're they've been around for quite some time and yeah. they were actually only a band for about six months or so. Um, by the time that album came out, they got signed like in their first year as a band. Wow. Uh, you know, Billy Gibbons had obviously been in other groups and was, you know, a well-known personality. But ZZ Top themselves, they got signed almost instantly. So is that so, 50 years that that album? Then I got to look. That's it's crazy. It's got to be. It's yeah. 71 is when it came out. Yeah. And it's, uh, I was jamming yeah, it today. January 71. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I put it on today uh, and, and it just, it sounds so good. It's really amazing. So I'm really happy to have found that. Um, I wasn't even looking for it. It just, you know, I, I always have a certain uh, pattern when I go to the record store and so, you know, that last row that is typically kind of ignored, I'll look for wings, I'll look for yes, I'll look for Neil oh, Young, wow. and okay. then boom, ZZ Top. And so I almost didn't go to that last row because I was like, ah, oh, you know, I want to get back to the kids yeah. and everything. I don't want to take too much time here. But I, I kept digging anyway, and I'm so glad I did because this, this one has been a, a little bit of a white whale for me for, for a while. Um, So I'm glad to have that. I was also able to pick up um, both the second and third album by the pretenders Mm -hmm. um, two and learning to crawl respectively. And uh, I was glad to pick up those. I'm a big fan. And I just recently grabbed an original pressing of their first album. So I'm I'm working on that discography, which is great. Awesome. Um, Also grabbed flag by James Taylor. Um, I'm, you know, as I've said before, my mom was a huge James Taylor fan. So, you know, by default, I'm a fan and James Taylor is probably the artist that I have the most records of that I hardly ever listen to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love his music and, you know, I'll listen, I'll listen to, you know, sweet baby James and stuff like that. But yeah. it, you know, it's pretty rare that I'll pop on, you know, an, a more recent James Taylor album. Um, yeah. but you know, I want to finish out the discography and, uh, He's got quite a discography. So anytime I see one at a, you know, his, his records are usually pretty cheap anyway, just because they were so ubiquitous. But, uh, I picked that up. 
Yeah, I have that with I have that with John Denver too. For, and I don't even think my oh, parents yeah? were really John Denver fans, but like I just kind of stumbled across him and I have a bunch and I'll throw them on from time to time. They just put me in a mood that I think is similar to a James Taylor kind of mood. It's just like Yeah, absolutely. It lets me breathe a little bit. It's kind of nice. Completely, completely. And um speaking of records and groups that are like that, that just kind of put you at ease and Mm. make it feel like that you can breathe like you're outside getting some fresh air. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of the new Kings of Convenience album that came out on the 18th and it is so good. It's their first new record in 12 years and um, it's just perfect. It is absolutely beautiful. They've got a couple of songs that they uh, have feist singing along with them. Oh, wow. They're just beautiful songs. It's a great record. And yeah, she's just one of my favorite singer songwriters of all time. And it's, it's one, another one of those records that it only was released in Europe. So I'm having Hmm. a hard time getting a hold of it at a decent price because it's like, no matter what I do, I'm going to be paying close to 15 bucks for shipping. So I've been trying to find a good deal on it. And, um, hopefully, um, hopefully it starts to come down. I don't care about getting like the special edition one on, a, on colored vinyl. I just, just want the record. Yeah. So hopefully I can pick that up eventually because none of my local shops got it. It's going to have to be an import. Yeah. It sounds like that's happening more and more right now. I mean, I don't know if you've seen these pieces about it. I'm hearing a lot about it where vinyl, just though the waiting list is growing and growing and the production isn't there. And right. the UK at least has a handful of plants that can both make the polyvinyl like uh, substance that they use for the pressing and then have mm-hmm. pressing plants. And so you have the UK that's churning out records. Um, and again, they have a six to nine month waiting list. And in the right. US, um, I think one of the major... Uh, plants burned down during COVID yep. and they just in haven't. California. Yeah. So they just haven't come back. So I think that this thing that you're seeing and talking about, you started with Loveless and, and now with this, like, I think you're just going to see more and more of this where the records are only getting pressed and put out in the UK. And it's not yeah. cost effective to ship them here because air shipping hasn't come back like it used to yet. So um, hopefully that changes when we continue this conversation in future years. But for now, I think it's, it's at least a short term trend. Yeah, I know COVID certainly didn't help any of that. Speaking of Loveless, I finally have brought to a close the saga of me getting a copy of that album, the one that I wanted. Um, Action Records in the UK, like I mentioned last episode, um, they said it would take three to four weeks, you know, right. typical shipping time from across the pond. I got it in about a week and a half. So I was Great. really happy about that. So yeah. I've listened to it. I love it more than I thought I would because it just sounds perfect with the complete analog signal path from the studio all the way to my eardrums. And it's so beautiful. I absolutely love it. So sweet. Other than that, the only other thing I've really been listening to a lot of is um, The Lees of Memory, which for those of you that don't know, is the current project uh, of John Davis of Super Drag fame. Mm. And um, this actually was an album that they put out in 2016. Um, it's it's kind of it's definitely Beatles worship. It's it's, you know, pop rock psychedelia. And he's he's 
a master at that type of songwriting. Um, those early albums of theirs, uh, Lees of Memory, they were done in mono. And I don't know if that was like a throwback, like we're going to, you know, the early Beatles albums were in mono. We're going to mm-hmm. put out our albums in mono, but they have a new stereo mix of that album. Uh, and it's actually up for pre-order right now, uh, the vinyl. And I'm, I'm going to grab that, but hmm. I've been listening to the stereo mixes cause it's on, uh, it's on Apple music right now and it nice. just sounds really, really good. And I'm happy about that. And I can't wait for that to come out and hopefully not have any problems picking up that record since it's, it should be pressed here and released here in the U S yeah. You guys are going to make me super drag fans. That's what's going to wind up happening between you and Dan. I'm just gonna, like, I'm so, <laughs> I, I'm so aware, uh, but not, not immersed in, in the music. And I feel like I'm, I'm being drawn into it, which is what I need. A lot of time was with music. I need someone to, you know, throw something on in a car or shove a CD in my hand or stick an, uh, a headphone on me and say, like, this is why I love this. I mean, that, I, that's part of the reason why I like and wanted to do this show is to just kind of have these like connection conversations about the music. Um, and now I've, I've started listening to a band that I hadn't really spent much time on and I'm getting into it. So uh, so I, I, I now I'm going to I feel it like it's going to happen. That's awesome. And yeah, and you know what? If you don't get into it, it sure. is what it is because that band was so a such a huge part of my formative years. Mm-hmm. You know, when Regretfully Yours came out, I was learning how to play guitar. I was, you know, in the absolute throes of teenagedom. You know what I mean? It was like mm-hmm. those are your formative years and those bands that you listen to, they stick with you forever, even yeah. if you end up, you know, not really listening to them later on in life that always sticks with you. So it, you know, someone getting into super drag or any of those bands that were big in the nineties, if you're listening to them for the first time now, it might not hit you the same yeah. and that's okay. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, if you can, if you can appreciate it for what it is, that's, that's enough because yeah. it's, it's, it's just power pop with just an injection of, the love of what the Beatles were doing in the sixties and, you know, making a modern rock album out of that combination mm-hmm. of sounds. And it's, it's, it's really, really lovely when it comes together, which most of the time it, it absolutely does for super drag anyway. Cool. So what about you? What have you been listening to and anything cool that you've purchased recently? Well, so I did the thing that I always swear that I'm not going to do, but then I do, which is go to record store day. Now, you didn't go to record store day, but you kind of did, right? Well, I went, I'm not big into crowds and this, this was pre COVID, you know, I'll go to a concert, but I'll go to a small show. I love club shows, smaller shows. I don't like Mm -hmm. giant crowds. I don't like standing around in line for things. Um, and not only that, but there wasn't anything on the lineup of records that I absolutely had to have. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to deal with the whole, you know, waiting in line. I, the, the, the store that I, I typically frequent the most, they were posting pictures of people starting to line up the night before. They love, And I'm like, no, like this is, this is not a brand new game console. This is not, you know, tickets to Paul McCartney or something, yeah. you know well, what I mean? This, 
Yeah, that's this, that's like, oh, this is an excuse for me to definitely not go. I can't show yes. me this line down the block. I am going to avoid that like the plague. Yeah. yeah. So I, I waited till the next day just nice. to kind of check because a lot of stores still had mm-hmm. a lot of stuff left over. Um, but yeah, it just, it just definitely isn't my thing. I'm glad that it exists and I'm, and it brings a lot of attention to the format and, um, local, local shops, which is the most important thing. Cause we need to keep those alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what was your record store day experience? Well, so I went, um, my thing has been for the most part, first of all, you, you saying that there was nothing on there that you um, like had to pick up is probably the best case scenario, right? Because there have been times in the past where there was a 45 that was coming out um, for like the third single of an album um, or a one-off thing from an album. And the B side is so cool. And the artwork is so cool. And they are only making 5,000 of them. And I know my local shop's getting three. Right. And, I do have that feeling and then every single time it's disappointment because every single time the people who get there early are the ones who are going there as a job, quote unquote, to get the stuff to sell it on eBay for yeah, five times the price. And so mm-hmm. I rarely ever, I mean, there's been a few times when I walked into that shop um, and I actually, you know, I went in the morning as opposed to my, my current kind of afternoon thing um, and actually saw the thing that I wanted that I was convinced wasn't going to be there. And, and then it's that like, um, high hopes, low expectations where it's like, if I right. walk in and it's there, that's great. I'm not going to pay a scalper price. I can live without this thing. It's just a thing. Um, and also sometimes you look like four years later and <laughs> the prices have come down because everyone's kind of moved on and forgotten about the thing. Yeah. And, and that, that can momentary. Happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I did that this year again, like you, there wasn't a ton, although I did want to get, um, so the era for me, which is again, probably, uh, different for most people. Um, uh, my era of, uh, rage against the machine that, that I, feel closest to is, uh, around battle of Los Angeles, the third album. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I love the first and I, evil empire is great too. Um, but battle of Los Angeles just for me hit at the right time. Um, yeah. and so they did, uh, a pressing of a live show, the battle of Mexico city. Um, and it's a great lineup of songs, but it's heavy into that era, especially like testify, right. calm, like a bomb, um, you know, guerrilla radio, all of that. I mean, sleep now in the fire is so good. Um, so yeah, so, uh, I, I was like, I went in there expecting not to find it and they had three or four copies left. I showed up around two o'clock and they had it. Um, so I was pretty jazzed about that. Um, my buddy, has, he does the thing where he texts me the things that he wants because he's not going to go either. But right. um, if it's still there, great. And if not, whatever. He wanted, uh, I think there were two like Black Sabbath reissues and those were long gone. Like that's, yeah. again, that's like right over the plate of like scalpers. Like anything Grateful Dead, Beatles, Sabbath, Zeppelin yeah. is just, is going to be snagged because it's going to go for, for top dollar. Absolutely. Um, um, I saw, so amongst other, um, 
labels like indie labels that I love that are having their like 20th or 25th anniversary vagrant records has been reissuing some records, um, from their catalog. And they did a pressing of thrice's, uh, to be everywhere is to be nowhere, which is a later album. It's still pretty recent. I think it was maybe eight years ago, nine years ago, love thrice. Um, and there's a song on this one called black honey. That is just it. it, I, I could listen to that song over and over and over again. Um, and then I picked up Connor Oberst Ruminations. And these are albums that I didn't even know were part of Record Store Day. I just kind of went in there oh, to They browse. were just there. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, like they were they were an official release, but I was like, I hadn't scanned the list. Um, I, I love Connor. I love Bright Eyes. Um, ha- have for years. This album is, is one where he had gone from a big orchestration and a, and a band. He had the Mystic Valley Band, I think they were called. He put out two or three albums with them. Um, and then he had some vocal issues, some health issues that kind of kicked him off the road. And he oh, just kind of, that. yeah, he sat down and, and like in isolation kind of, uh, wrote and recorded this beautiful album and then re recorded it, uh, a few months later, maybe a year later. Um, I believe it's called celebrations and it's the same album, but with, the with a band with a lot bigger sounding so ruminations is like the stripped down raw songs um and then at, so there's some songs on this that i love the ruminations version and there's some that i love the celebrations version oh that's cool um so i'm hoping that there's also a celebrations release at some point um i think it's called celebrations i'd have to look that up but i'm pretty sure um anyway uh listening to and this is not in connection but it, it kind of fits nicely with our tony hawk uh, convo later. Uh-huh. Um, my buddy and I were driving around. He, he took me out to dinner, uh, about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. And he was listening to a lot of rancid lately. Um, mm-hmm. and so we were just like kind of jumping around their discography as we were driving. Um, and again, rancid, not really ska ska band, but the, a lot of that dance hall from the, the op Ivy roots, like it's yeah. definitely in there a bunch. Um, and it was another thing that we've talked about before where I was like, oh, here's something I could play in the car with my kid. And so not, I've, I've played some rancid for her, but I was like, I can play less than Jake. I can play catch 22. I can play some of these fun ska songs. Um, and she'll dig it. And she does, you know, it's like the horns and the kind of energy that she just loves kicking around in the backseat. Um, so I've been listening to a bunch of ska lately. Um, I was super, super into it. Saw a lot of shows back in the day. It was big Mm -hmm. in, uh, in, in the tri-state area where, where I'm from Northeast. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's like a rediscovered love, um, that I'm having right now. It's, it's just so easy to listen to. Like it's so, it's so easily listenable. So. It's great. Yeah, I remember that too. Ska was huge in the the nineties. When growing up, I was in a ska band. Um, no way. In the late nineties, yeah. I mean, we didn't do anything, but you know, we sure. got together and had a name and called ourselves, you know, a band. So cool. You know, but it, it just kind of speaks to how huge that genre was at that time. You know, call it. Did you have a trombone player? Did you have a a trumpet player? We did not have a horn section, unfortunately. Um, Tough to find. Yeah, yeah, we had a keyboard player that would basically like play the horn parts on a synthesizer. It was like an old Yamaha DX synthesizer. Awesome. um, Or DX7. 
And, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of, it's, it's just fun music. Mm -hmm. It's fun to listen to. It's fun to play. There's a reason why a bunch of kids shows use ska as like their theme or like the ending credits. The Aquabats, man. Yeah. The Aquabats went on to like create Yo Gabba Gabba and stuff like, yeah, so many of those bands have gone on to make kids music and, and yeah, it's just that that energy. It's like yeah. that joke, ska music sounds like what plays in a teenager's head when he gets extra mozzarella sticks. It's just <laughs> I've never heard that. That's fantastic. It's, it's just so fun. It's like yeah. and whether it's, you know, more aggressive, uh, you know, distorted guitar driven ska or the more traditional um, you know, kind of rock steady feeling ska, it's just so much fun. And yeah. I don't listen to a whole lot of that anymore, but it is something that plays in my head when I'm not necessarily thinking about it. It just pops mm-hmm. in there because it's so ingrained in my in my memory of of times as a teenager, you know, listening to it in the car or playing or writing ska songs. Uh, it's just a great genre that. Uh, at least nowadays certainly doesn't get um, the attention that it probably deserves, if any at all. Yeah. Well, that kind of, I I mean, maybe we can jump right to a question. We have two questions from, from Texas Trey. um, And maybe that is the answer to this. I don't know. We, we talked about a little bit um, songs that have been forgotten by most over time, but burned into your brain for a long time. Mm, um, he went on to say question. songs that you may have been too young to catch initially, but you remembered the words or something like that. Um, my head immediately went to uh, Informer by Snow. I didn't know who <laughs> Snow. I didn't know who Snow was. Um, obviously, there's the one, a definite one hit wonder. Um, oh yeah, huge one hit wonder. Yeah. <laughs> but that song is so catchy, and it's I stupid I remember catchy. not not knowing the words at all because he's singing in a fake Jamaican patois. <laughs> but like, like it's leaky boom boom or something. Like, but but it's so <laughs> catchy. And I my buddy when he he was like the first of us to get a car, um, and he had the cassette and he played that, and I will never not listen to that song. <laughs> somebody plays it it is so you have to listen to the whole thing yeah (laughs) it's so good yeah um what about you is there anything that you have uh that you think uh that like you have stuck in your head or or maybe was celebrated at the time but isn't kind of remembered as it as it might uh, or should be now that was such a great question and it was so hard for me to come up with something because it's such a open-ended kind of broad question Um, but I'm definitely going with the way by fastball Mm -hmm. and that song was just massive when it came out, it was everywhere and it was so catchy. It's so perfectly written and the guitar is present and, It's just like you you want to hear that guitar part again and the chord progression is so interesting and it is one of those songs that you just don't get tired of. You can listen to it over and over again, but you could you could probably classify them as a one hit wonder as well, because for the most part, you didn't really hear from them again. 
Yeah, I mean, we were talking in the Discord. Dan heard the the kind of reimagining or reusage of their other quote unquote hit. Because yeah, you're right. They are a one hit wonder. You could argue they're a two hit wonder because out of my head did okay. It was on the same album. Yeah. Um, did not hit what the way did. Um, but then found uh, a, a new audience and a new appreciation years and years later with Machine Gun Kelly and Ariana Grande, I think it was. Um, mm, or was it? It wasn't else? Ariana. Oh, Camila Cabello. Yep. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Camila Cabello. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as odd as it is often to hear, songs kind of reused or reimagined and you think to yourself like why couldn't the artist come up with something new or unique and why do they have to kind of mine history like historically popular pop songs um a there is like some value to kind of reimagining uh and keeping a song or a a melody alive but then like as, as i mentioned you know for the original band, as long as they are getting credited uh, as songwriters, as, as co-creators of the song, I, it was able to finance Fastball's last album. <laughs> like the money that they made off of that, they were like, oh, OK, we can go back in and we can we can make new music now because this other group 20 years later, whatever it was, decided to pay them a bunch of money to snag their their hook. So, yeah. And that in and of itself, I don't have a problem with. Mm -hmm. I'm just not a fan of him. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Well, so the other question that Texas Trey threw at us uh, was uh, about guilty pleasures, which I just bared my soul uh, and and probably exposed (laughs) myself to the having the worst taste in music or at least the most uh unabashedly pop enthused and accepting taste in music um which i i hope i redeem myself in other conversations but no man go for I, it i definitely threw out the names that you would I, like i don't like nickelback so i can get with everybody on there um i bought creed's human clay but i don't listen to it i'm not a creed guy um but I, uh, there are, there are certain, uh, Limp Biscuit songs that I will still defend. I had a corn Limp Biscuit phase and, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to mention later on, but, um, I am not mad at some of the pop song writing of the late nineties, early two thousands boy band era. I think that, um, aesthetics aside, I mean, those music videos were so over the top. And again, another thing that's fun to go back to now with my kid, you know, she's watching in sync, uh, and Backstreet Boys and Avril Lavigne performances like they're new kind of, yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, and I feel like that's akin to showing your kid, you know, super Mario brothers three, when you have Mario odyssey or something out, right? Like, like here's where it kind of came from. And now you can listen to Katy Perry and know that this happened there 10 years, 20 years before the history. Um, Yeah, a little bit, but the, the songwriting in some of those, uh, I, I, I'll, I love it. Uh, there's a song by the Backstreet Boys called The Call. It was on their third album. It's fantastic. Um, I love Bye Bye Bye. I think it's a jam. So, yeah, I, I have plenty of of artists that I um, I will I will admittedly say that I I could easily lo- uh, say that I love those songs. And and they're designed to be earworms, catchy. 
yeah. yeah. They, they were, they're perfectly crafted to get stuck in your head and stay there. Right. You know, we have the technology, we know the formulas and they did what they had to do to sell records and they nailed it. Um, it's not something that I listen to, but the, the songwriting, regardless of the subject matter, the, the hooks and the music is it's objectively almost flawless. I mean, these are, these are expertly crafted songs. And so you think about, and and we could also go down the rabbit hole and I'd love to, at some point of um, there are certain artists that I listen to because I, I want to engage with them as songwriters and I love them for that. And even if the song isn't great, I still have an attachment to it because I'm excited to hear what that songwriter has to say. Right. Um, but then there's those situations. And I think that that's what a lot of what these songs that I'm talking about are where there's another person who is writing the songs and this group is just performing it. And while I do also appreciate the band's performance. You know, their, their voices were great. Um, I don't need the choreography. I don't need the music video or the stage show, but like uh, the one that I'm talking about right now is Max Martin, who has, he wrote baby one more time. He wrote, Mm -hmm. it's going to be me. I want it that way. I kissed a girl, uh, Taylor Swift's shake it off. Like he wrote, Mm -hmm. he, he's got a hit right now. The weekend's the weekend song blinding lights, which it either was up for, for awards or received awards. I'm not sure, but like one of the biggest pop songs of the past year, he wrote that the same guy who wrote baby one more time back in the late nineties, just wrote another smash song 20 years later. That is insane. Yep. And there's a totally talent insane. to that. There's a talent to that. That's undeniable. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. There may be a formula, but it takes a great deal of talent to sit down and create something new mm-hmm. with that given formula and have it be fresh and interesting enough to become a hit because, yeah. you know, just because you follow a formula and just because it sounds good doesn't necessarily make it a hit. There's a whole lot of factors at play and it's hard enough to make one smash hit, but to do it time and time again, it's like, it's undeniable the, the, the talent there. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's more, you know, there's a team, there's an entire team of people oh, yeah. crafting yeah. this stuff. So it's, yeah. it's not just one person. It's a, it's a massive group effort and yeah. it's enormously expensive as well. Yeah. But, um, so that actually segues pretty well into my answer to that. Um, I had talked about a couple of things on the discord, but as I think if I'm being honest, I think my guiltiest pleasure has probably got to be repeat listenings of toxic by Britney Spears. Oh my gosh. Which may be the best pop song of all time. And I'm not being facetious and I'm not using hyperbole. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I agree. think that I, song yeah. <laughs> is so among good. the, the best pop songs ever written. And uh, I can, I could literally listen to it five, six, seven, eight times. Is that a, it's a violin that like I can hear it in my head right now when you say it. Yeah. 
think it's some kind of orchestral like sample yeah. <laughs> or or a, maybe a synthesizer. I don't even know what it is, and and that's kind of part of what makes it so cool and interesting and a little bit different from most of what she had put out before. Then mm-hmm. is that it? It was a little bit um, off kilter. Um, uh, it was a little bit um, has has this kind of frenetic energy a little bit, mm-hmm. and sometimes you're not quite sure what you're hearing. Is it a sample? Is it an instrument? Is it a distorted vocal? So that I think is my guiltiest pleasure. Cause you know, if I was just listening to the song once, it would be one thing, but yeah, I'll, I'll play it four or five times plus in the car and very loud as well. (laughs) I play that song loud. That's one I haven't played for So my daughter knows hit me baby one more time. She knows, oops, I did it again. And then I get to toxic and I feel like there's moments in that song where I'm like, you're a six year old. We're going to hold on to that a little bit longer. Yeah, that is true. Huffing and stuff that goes on. (laughs) Oh, is that I'm a slave for you? Maybe that's a different song I'm thinking of. There's two songs Um, that she does. It was right around that same time where she does some kind of like panting and huffing in the song. And I'm like, yeah, that's not in toxic. I do know what you're talking about, but still the, the point still stands there. You know, there's some sexual themes in the song and more so than just, you know, hit me baby one more time, which, Mm -hmm. you know, can be a little bit risque, but it could also be a little bit, you know, vague enough that a six year old isn't going to have any issues with it. Um, that, yeah, I think you're you're probably thinking of Slave for You. Slave for You. Yeah, which yeah. was the Neptunes did that one? It might be right. It sound it feels like a Neptune song. I'm not sure, but it feels like If it's not, like it kind of definitely production. feels yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah. Um All well, right. cool. Yeah, so maybe we go through a couple quick little uh upcoming things on the horizon to kind of cue people into. Um sure and thing. then we can flip flip this over. Absolutely. Um so a couple things came out recently or are on the horizon that I think that is is kind of worth being aware of. Um, I don't know if we've ever talked about the killers before, if you're a fan at all. Um, but I I get hot and cold on them, but they're a band that um, kind of like the strokes for me. You know, they have some early songs that are great. And then every once in a mm-hmm. while they do something that hits me. Um, their album from last year. Uh, it was called Imploding the Imploding the Mirage, and it was fantastic. Um, mm. Kind of channeling Petty and Springsteen and the Cars all in one, as they do. Um, yeah. But so Springsteen has become a fan of the band, and they are obviously fans of his. And so during this time of COVID, as you're seeing all these weird things happen and bands kind of rethinking things, um, apparently Bruce reached out to them and said he'd love to do something together. And so they did. Yeah, you get that phone call, right? Um, Right. And so they did uh, a a reimagining of a song off their their third album, uh, which the song was called a Dustland the fairy tale. And so they're just calling this Dustland. Um, re-recorded the thing with uh dual vocals, like a duetting with Springsteen. And it's really cool. They shot a video for it where they're in different locations, but they kind of merge it nicely. Um, so definitely one to check out for sure. It's floating around out there. 
Um, I also, I don't know if we've talked John Mayer before, another artist that I tend to be hot and cold on depending on his ego at the moment. Um, he, he's got a weird thing where he could easily go down as one of our generation's best and most versatile guitar players. Um, and his desire to be a pop star keeps getting in the way of that. You know, like he tours with the dead, like he discovered his love for, for the grateful dead so much so that they then said, okay, come out and play guitar for us. And he has for years now. Um, and occasionally just creates these gorgeous sprawling songs. Um, and then sometimes he's so set on getting another hit and being a pop star um, that he <laughs> just, uh, he just steps on himself. Um, well, but he's got, go ahead. What were you going to say? Sorry. Oh no. Just from, from what I have heard and what, what he seems to communicate is that playing, you know, blues guitar and being a, being a guitar virtuoso is his dream mm-hmm. and doing the pop stuff funds being able to do that because he knows he's not going to pay the bills, so to speak by being a blues guitar player. Sure. So that's what I have come to understand how much truth there is to that. I don't know, but it yeah. does seem to put the pieces all together and make it make sense. Yeah, you listen to that John Mayer trio album everyone points to and it's like you you know what's there and you've li- you listen to his songwriting. He's a, he's the whole package, which is yeah. a rare thing. Um but I would counter that I think that it's more so that he kind of can easily check the box as arrogant as that sounds of being a fantastic guitar player, specifically a fantastic blues guitar player. Yeah. Um and it's being a pop star at 40, whatever he is now, that is the challenge yeah. that he needs to kind of achieve. Um, well, again, maybe that's I'm just true. speculating. Yeah. I, that, maybe that's the tables the have turned <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. what used to be the cash cow has now become the challenge. Well, I and that's see why, that. Yeah. And that's why this project, I, this new album, I'm excited to hear. I've only heard the first song, which is called Last Train Home. But if you look at the whole aesthetic of it, you watch the video, the album cover is fantastic. Um, it looks like a vinyl record from the 80s with the nice price sticker on it, like nice. legitimately what you would have gone digging for decades ago. Yeah. Um, and it feels like a Rick Springfieldy kind of infused, but like it's a John Mayer album. Um, yeah. It's the first time in a while that I'm actually excited to listen to a, a John Mayer album. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I can't wait to see what he does because it has a theme that interests me. Um, but it also seems to be coming from a genuine place and not exploitative. Um, right. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see uh, what's going on there. Um, and then speaking of, of delving into the, the history a little bit um, and going back to our record store day conversation, I think there might be something that a is going to sell out immediately. So none of us should get our hopes on, <laughs> but uh, it was just announced that the Foo Fighters are going to put out um, uh, like a tribute cover album. They're going to call themselves the DGs um, <laughs> and release uh, <laughs> release uh, 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 a disco album called uh, called Hail Satin. And uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that this is something that they'll Man. press a lot of because it's a Foo Fighters album. Um, but it's going to be four um, 
four Bee Gees hits um, and then uh, I think a handful of other songs. They haven't said what the rest of it's going to be. They only said they're going to be doing You Should Be Dancing, More Than a Woman, Night Fever. Like, oh, man, it's going to be so cool. Yeah. And they're going to do originals, too, in that style. think so yeah they said oh that side God. a they said side a is is bg's um is bg songs and then uh i think the other is going to be like live recordings uh from like a recent outtakes or something like that yeah well that i i might i'm not gonna mm. camp out overnight but i right. might wake up early and stand in line for that one that's a tough one yeah that's a really tough one yeah and then uh as far as music on the horizon um uh, Serge Tankian from System of a Down put out a 24-minute piano concerto recently, like bizarre. As um, one does. Yeah. Tom Morello is putting out like an electronica hard rock uh, EP with the bloody beat roots. Uh, I mean, I'm people are getting it. weird out there. Like, like th- I think people have gotten really experimental during this time at yeah. home and, and at their home studios and have come up with all these different things. And now we're starting to see it. Anything goes. Um, I don't, yeah. I don't know if you follow, uh, the Eve six drama on Twitter at all. Um, that's a band that you thought you'd never hear from again and they know it. And, uh, a few months ago, they just got really snarky and punchy and honest on Twitter and people loved it and ate it up. It's been a massive thing. Um, that's marketing just, right there. They're, well, they're just telling stories. They're just talking about Counting Crows and Third Eye Blind and like sharing all of this inside info and, <laughs> and these like hot takes and the way that they're doing it is so cutting. Um, and then, yeah, and now they have a new album to promote. So, <laughs> so that, that's coming out. Um, new Buck Cherry. They were never my band, but obviously have been huge. I randomly got dragged to a show as a $10 ticket uh, about two or three years ago. Get ready for this lineup. It was Alien Ant Farm, oh, wow. um, POD, Lit, wow. and then Buck Cherry Buck was headlining. Cherry. Yeah, and so like we Lit sh- and Buck Cherry are the, one of those those bands that like, oh, I thought that was a Lit song, but it's a Buck Cherry song yep. and vice versa. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, what a lineup, I, I got there and there were 20 people. It was an outdoor thing. It was beautiful. 20 people. And I'm being generous for alien ant farm. Um, and, uh, but got to hear them do a couple songs and they have a song on, on the Tony Hawk three soundtrack. Yeah. That's actually really good. Um, uh, POD and lit did their thing and there was an audience. But uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is I left. I did not stay for buck cherry. Like we oh. saw, I was like, I'm done. But the, <laughs> the audience, this. the audience was like they all showed up and it was such a like 40 something biker audience for Buck Cherry. So <laughs> there are but I mean, and that's a band that's had hits over the years that it's it's yeah, it, it shocks me. Um, yeah. And then the last one that I'll bring up is uh, the Mountain Goats. I don't know if you're a Mountain Goats fan at all or not. Um, I. I I came to discover John Darnell songwriting a lot later. Um, they're one that I went back to and have found my love for in yeah, the past like five or six years. Um, and nobody can paint a picture the way that he does in a song uh, in such weird out outside thinking mm-hmm. uh, oddball stories and insights that can just kind of cut you. So I'm excited to see what he's done during this whole thing again, like looking to see what some of my favorite artists have come up with now that they have had their lives kind of turned on their head. Yeah. And that's a, that's a 
group that I just have barely scratched the surface of learning about and getting into. So that'll be exciting to hear, you know, their newest thing while I'm mm-hmm. in the process of digging through their old catalog and kind of discovering them, um, that, which is always fun to do. And it makes it even better when you have a new album as kind of a marker for where they yeah. are now and then seeing their growth over time to get to this point. I think that's really cool. And so I'm glad they're coming out with something new kind of right while I'm just getting into them and discovering what they have to offer. It's really cool. There's a a lot there. I mean, the early albums were done on these like, like four track cassette recorders and they're really rough. Um, I don't go back to that stuff a lot. Um, although all hail West Texas is, is a classic, but, um, the later stuff, once he starts messing around with production um, and and kind of fleshing out his songwriting a little bit, a, untouchable mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, we have a lot to talk about still. Mm-hmm. I think it's about time to wrap up side A. And when we come back, we will go briefly over this week in music history and then drop in to some Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtracks. Nice. for joining us on side b of this third episode of retro groove and this week in music history there's some special stuff this week that happened uh first and foremost you know we just had record store day um june 21st 1948 is the day that columbia records launched a new vinyl disc format playing at 33 and a third rpm in New York City, which obviously sparked a music industry standard that is still to this day used. Mm -hmm. And of course, without that, we probably wouldn't even be having this podcast. There's, um, There's just so much music out there and, you know, you can digitize it, but when you have it physically in your hand, it just feels different. And having a record on on a format that, as long as it's taken care of, will never, you know, deteriorate like like even CDs will eventually deteriorate. But a vinyl record, if it's kept in good shape and it's kept, you know, climate controlled, that in and of itself is not going to deteriorate. It's always going to be there in physical format. So. That obviously is a hugely important day in recorded music history. Yeah, I think that all all but killed the 78 too. I mean, I'm not I'm not super fresh on my my history, but I don't think that the the 78 like that the 78 was the standard for the first half of that century and I think like quicker than the CD killed vinyl, I think that uh that the 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 33 and a third uh wiped out the 78 
very quickly. And I'm assuming it's because similar to our current era of, you know, capacity to store content, that it was more versatile and you could put more on on a disc, basically. Um, But I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure that the the 78 didn't survive the 50s. I don't. Yeah, there's not a whole lot that's on 78 RPM. And I'm not sure of the history either as far as when 45 came on the scene, um, because, you know, they're still pressing records in 45 RPM and Mm -hmm. you could argue that they do sound better, but you know, how much better does a 78 sound to lose so much physical space on the disc? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, um, the, those 78 collectors are definitely kind of the oddball in the, in the record collecting world. Also on June 21st in 1966, Jimmy Page made his live debut with the Yardbirds at the Marquee Club in London. Obviously went on to be the guitar player for Led Zeppelin and one of the most influential guitar players of all time. Uh, June 22nd, 1971, Joni Mitchell released her fourth studio album, Blue, um, now, of course, regarded as one of the greatest albums of all time. I do happen to have a copy of it. And for some reason, it goes for quite a bit of money. I just saw wow. a copy of it at the record store today and it was going for $40 and it was not in good shape either. <laughs> the physical condition was not that great. And um, it just happens to be one of those more rare records where when you think of Joni Mitchell, you think of, you know, maybe like James Taylor bargain bin prices, but that album specifically um, just is in higher demand. And for some reason is in shorter supply and goes for, you know, more money than you would expect an album of that era to go for. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's one of my favorites of hers. And and I love that album. I listen to it uh, periodically. And then June 25th, 1984, Prince released his sixth studio album, Purple Rain, his first with his band, The Revolution. Of course, one of his, probably his biggest album. Yeah, so um, One of the biggest albums of all time. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's hard to believe that it has been that long, but 1984. Um, and then on June 25th, 2009, Michael Jackson, the king of pop, died at the age of 50 after suffering heart failure at his home in Beverly Hills. We're not going to go too deep into that because conspiracy theories abound. Hmm. But, uh, you know, he was hugely influential, obviously, in not just the the music world, but in pop culture in general. And so rest in peace, Michael Jackson. Yeah. 50 is uh, when you see that written there, like it doesn't hit me. Until I see like 50 is so young. I mean, we lost Petty young and that was 66, I yeah. think. Um, at 50 is just it. it I, and look, we've lost some. Uh, there's the was it the 27 club of Hendrix and Joplin. You got Morrison. Mm-hmm. You lost Cobain very early. Cobain. Like, there's so many people who've lost early. But 50 is still that's that's it's that's crazy. too young. Yes. Yeah, so young. Yeah. Way too young. Prince as well. He was, you know, yeah. also. Um, just way too young and, you know, possibly in a similar circumstance, um, mm-hmm. with and petty too, certain, yeah. 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 So it, it's, it's very real and it's kind of scary to think about, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. They weren't planning on that happening and yet, you know, here we are. So it yeah. kind of sobers you up a little bit, so to speak. 
But we've got some fun birthdays this week. Um, mm-hmm. This is also my birthday week. So I'm happy to share my birthday week with some great, great musicians. Happy June birthday. June 21st. Thank you. Appreciate mm-hmm. that. June 21st, 1944, Ray Davies, who's the singer and principal songwriter for the Kinks. He is turning 77 on the 21st. Awesome. Chris Christofferson, born June 22nd, get this, 1936. Ooh. He is still kicking, and he is about to turn 85. Amazing. Unbelievable. Cindy Lauper, June 22nd. Born in 1953, June Carter Cash was born on June 23rd, 1929. Obviously an accomplished singer-songwriter in her own right. Also happened to have married Johnny Cash. Yeah. Um, she passed away May 15th, 2003. Yeah. June 24th, my birthday. In 1944, English rock guitar player Jeff Beck, who was initially the replacement for Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds. Um, but obviously went on to form Jeff Beck group and, you know, not as well known or as highly influential as maybe Hendrix or, you know, one of the, those big, um, you know, stars, but he is still one of the most influential guitar players of all time. Yeah. And, Um, and to pause there for a second, just like, obviously we kind of piece this together already and it's a known thing, but when you look at the span of the Yardbirds in, I think maybe four years of existence or or recorded existence that they had three of the arguably the greatest, most talented, at least guitar players in rock history walked through like went through that band you have clapton jeff beck and jimmy page all that's insane that that happened it's really crazy crazy. so crazy and nobody knows the names of any of the other yardbirds it's just (laughs) they all went on to be you know just guitar gods in their own right and Derek and dominoes and yeah yep yep And also June 24th in 1949, Mick Fleetwood, drummer and co-founder of Fleetwood Mac. Mm -hmm. He is turning 74. John Ilsley, June 24th, 1949, English musician, best known as bass, best known as the bass guitarist of the Dire Straits. He will be turning 72. And then last but not least, we have Carly Simon, born in June, uh, Born June 25th, 1945. Obviously, smash number one hit, You're So Vain. Um, You could maybe call her a one-hit wonder, but she had a pretty expansive career and was influential Mm -hmm. in the singer-songwriter scene in the 70s. So she definitely deserves a lot of credit for being influential in, in that sphere. Oh, yeah. All right. So were you a skateboarder at any point, Liam? I wanted to be. (laughs) I had friends who maybe kind of were, but like, I I mean, there was a guy named Mickey that we all kind of hung out by the the elementary school when we were in middle school, maybe freshman year. And he would have a skateboard and and kind of do some stuff. But it was really just like four or five of us that would pretend to be skateboarders and not actually be able to do any of it. What about you? Right. I would. So I did skateboard, but I also in that same right wanted to be a skateboarder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I, I was, I wouldn't call myself a skateboarder. I would call myself somebody that took my skateboard to the skate park and listened <laughs> to music and, <laughs> and pushed myself a around a little bit. Right. Yeah, It was a scene. You, it was like a reason to get together with like-minded people, you know, it's, I, I yeah. So in 1999, a game came out called Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not into skateboarding at all, you know who Tony Hawk is. So he slapped his name on a new skateboarding game. The controls were tight. Anybody could pick it up and start playing it. And it took the world by storm. And one of the major aspects of the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games, which wasn't really so much a thing um, outside of maybe some sports games. Um, and part of that probably had to do with the technology at the time, you know, not yeah. being able to um, hold as much data as would be necessary to contain entire, you know, songs. Um, once we got a CD-ROM format and could have that data on a disc, um, we now have the ability to have a full-blown soundtrack um, because as part of the skating culture, there's the music that goes along with that. So the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games contained songs that just, number one, got stuck in your head, also got you into types of music that you may not have previously been exposed to mm-hmm. as a suburban kid, you know, that... Yep you know, plays video games and pretends to be a skateboarder once in a while. This was a huge eye opener. And there are a lot of amazing bands on these soundtracks. And I'd like to at least touch on a couple of them in these first four Tony Hawk games. Yeah. I I first, I'd like to ask if you have a memory, do you, what was your first Tony Hawk game that you remember? Was, was it the first one or? Yeah, I do remember playing Tony Hawk, uh, the first game on PlayStation one it would have been at a friend's house. I didn't own a PlayStation one until a little bit later, probably 2000 or 2001 before I got that system. Um, and it was, I remember it just being so easy to start learning how to do tricks and mm-hmm. pulling things off. But then the levels had a certain exploration aspect to it to where, Oh, how do you get to that part of the level? And you have to like do a certain trick and, and crash through a window or something. And then it opens up a whole new area of the level that you may have never seen before. So it was, it was just really, really cool. And it was addictive to play because each level had, you know, different types of objectives and, you know, you want to get to new areas. You want to hit that high score. You want to collect the different you know, whether it's the S K A T E, um, Mm. you know, there's, there were also like hidden videos that you could find. And once you collected that video from a level, you could like watch that little skate video. So there was all kinds of fun stuff that they threw into those levels. And, um, but one of the big things of course was the music was so cool and so different from what most of us had heard before. And even if we had, we were introduced to new bands, Um, so it was just a cultural phenomenon. Um, what was your first experience? Well, so I played Tony Hawk pro skater two, um, on the N64 at a friend's house. I didn't own it, but we played it a ton. 
Um, I definitely went back and played the first one, but it was the second one that was my introduction. And then when the third one came out, um, I was the, the GameCube was the first system that I had where I could afford to buy the games oh, for gotcha. it myself. Mm-hmm. And so I was going out. I, I have a ton of GameCube games because I was going out and buying as much of them as I could. Right. Um, but I'll say going back to your comment about recorded music in video games, um, I remember the um, the FIFA games uh, uh, would have songs on the intro screen. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, there's a song, 192000. Uh, it was the remix by the Gorillaz. Oh, yeah, the Gorillaz um, song. Uh-huh. Yeah, that like really vibey shoeshine uh, remix. Um, and I remember loving the, the intro stuff, but again, those were team sport games that once you got into playing it, even though you might be playing it by yourself, you might be playing it with your friends. Um, you were playing with a bunch of tactics and, and teams and stuff. And so the music fell away in those games a bit more than it did right. with the kind of solitary, like you said, exploration nature of these video games. It felt like your character had headphones on. It felt mm-hmm. like you were exactly. just skating around and, and listening to it. Um, and, and before we delve into the songs too much, I had one other question for you, which is, yeah. do you ever remember soundtracking you, your your room or whatever as you played a video game? Because I distinctively remember playing Nintendo 64 games in my bedroom and choosing, like having a CD wallet next to me and choosing songs that I wanted to play in the background while I was playing Resident yep. Evil 2 or whatever it was, you know? Like I, I and, and this was the first time where, I played a game and it felt like they soundtracked it for me and I loved it. I yes. it was so cool that somebody had thought through and made me a mixtape for me to play a video game to. Exactly. Of music and that I wound up loving. I wasn't familiar with this music yep. really at all and and loved every song. Yeah, and it's just because their soundtracks are so well crafted. Even from the yeah. very first game, they just nailed it. And yeah, I definitely did have that experience. There are some um, albums that will instantly transport me to playing a specific game. Um, the earliest that I can remember is playing Sonic and Knuckles for the Genesis. Hmm. And I would play this album by a band called the Galactic Cowboys. And okay. they were kind of a Pantera ripoff wannabe sort of group. Um, for some reason I, I had their CD and, um, I would play that album every single time I played Sonic and Knuckles for whatever reason. And so, you know, whether I'm thinking about Sonic and Knuckles or a Sonic game, um, comes across, you know, whatever feed I'm, I'm looking at, or someone brings up a Sonic game on the, on the retro logic discord, I'll start to hear galactic cowboys in my head. (laughs) And it's, it's really weird. It's a really weird phenomenon. Um, the other big one for me is, um, and Dan will have this same experience as well because, uh, we had lived together for a time period during, during, uh, when this game came out, but we would play super Mario sunshine Mm-hmm. with uh, the audio turned all the way down and we would play Kings of Convenience. 
because it's such like relaxing, like it's music for like a hot summer day where you're just sitting there with a cold drink. And Mm -hmm. so like the tropical beach setting of Super Mario Sunshine, it was just perfectly matching up with that feeling and that aesthetic. So it made it a completely different experience and it was so much fun. So now every time I listen to Kings of Convenience, at least that first album, I see Mario Sunshine in my head. <laughs> so and then vice versa if if I see someone, you know, playing Mario Sunshine on Twitch or whatever or Dan's playing it on the stream, uh, I'll hear Kings of Convenience in my head. So that's, that's definitely amazing. phenomenon. But you're right. This did feel like someone had already created the perfect mixtape for mm. the game because the music matched the energy of the the tricks that you were trying to pull off and, you know, wiping out and uh, getting up and trying the tricks again and, and, you know, trying to get the longest grind possible without falling. Um, It it was just so much fun and there was so much energy behind it. And um, it reminded me of being at the skate park and half the reason to go to the skate park is because there would always be music blasting. Somebody would have a boom box and there would be a stack of CDs and it, was uh it was an event it 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 made it something more than just you know going to the skate park and 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 pushing around and trying to learn tricks it it became a learning experience whereas oh that music's cool like what is that and then the energy behind the music kind of makes you push harder it -hmm. makes you want to go faster and um finding great music to go along with that was a big part of being at the skate park yeah really complimentary Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think we're going to focus on the first like four of them. I mean, I think there's 10 or 11 at this point games. Um, but I think part of the reason a, because this is, uh, you know, arguably uh, like what we're most familiar with in the Tony Hawk series. I messed around with some of the underground stuff later on, but this is the, the classic stuff, yeah. but also because um, these first, you know, three or four, once you get to the fourth one, it's a little dicier. Um, these are the ones that Tony Hawk was himself kind of putting in. He would, he would basically give the the licensing department, especially early on when it was like, an unknown thing to license music for a game like this. So mm-hmm. it was, they were kind of trailblazing, but he would give them a list of 20, 30 songs or artists that he wanted to go to and say, see what you can get. Um, yeah. And then once this became a vehicle, like such a massive promotional vehicle for this kind of music specifically, like punk mm-hmm. and hip hop, um, like he would was getting tapes thrown at him and you had all the labels <laughs> pushing to get their art artists on the games. Oh yeah. Um, so there's a, it gets really messy later on in the series. So, uh, just for everybody listening, we're going to focus on the first four here, uh, yeah. both to keep the conversation kind of tight, but also because it's it to us, it's kind of the purest time of him kind of curating this along with some of his friends. Um, and, uh, and, and just it being this organic, like you said, kind of a synergy between the scene and the music itself and that translating into a video game. Yeah, for sure. All right, so Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, 1999. What songs jump out at you as your favorites? Uh, well, I mean, the biggest one for me, and I think for a lot of people, is probably Goldfinger's Superman. I mean, this song... It was a big song. ...didn't have 
anything. I mean, it was it was from an album that came out two years before this. It wasn't a hit at all. They weren't a breakthrough. Uh, and I'm not just pinning this on my current resurgent love of ska. Uh, that that album, Hang Ups, and that song specifically are so good. But this band was. I mean, that song was made by this this game and they can't not play that song live anymore when they <laughs> tour. And it's specifically because of this. He, John Feldman, who we could do a whole thing on his production career. Cause he has kind of curated, he, he took the pop punk scene and just put his stamp on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he has, he has said that this was what established them and gave them that boost to the point that like, when they played that song, they saw the reaction from the crowd where everybody knew it because everyone was playing Tony Hawk. It right. was such a cultural moment in exactly. that year. Yeah, exactly right. I think the biggest one for me on this album is Jerry was a race car driver by mm. Primus. Yeah. I was a huge Primus fan. And at the time, it was the only song that I recognized. So I probably just kind of fixated on it. But mm-hmm. that the energy of that song is kind of just perfect. You don't you don't typically think of Primus as a skateboarding band uh, or a band that makes music for skateboarding, but that song just fit. And it was, it was fun to marry those two of my worlds. I was a huge Primus fan. I I wanted, I was getting into skateboarding and I was skateboarding at the skate park and to have Primus on the soundtrack. I was like, Oh, cool. Like, you know, these two things are coming together in my life. And, um, so that, that still to this day remains one of my favorite Primus songs. Um, yeah. And again, like that's, uh, seas of cheese, right? That's early 90, like very early nineties years yeah. before this, uh, years before this game came out. And it's like, I, again, another song that just, it broke through for a band that never really had radio play. I don't think Primus has ever had a radio hit or anything, but such a huge moment for a funky band that right. uh, to, to, to pluck that song eight, nine years later and stick it on a video Pretty game amazing. must have been the weirdest thing for Les Claypool to be like, yeah, sure. I guess go ahead, put it in a skateboard video game <laughs> and then have it, have it explode like that. Have it yeah. explode. You yeah. know, that was one that Tony Hawk was pushing for and the other producers of the game were probably like, eh, I don't know if that's a good fit, but Tony 100%. Hawk, he's a genius. Gotta yeah. give it to him. Yeah. Any others that pop out at you from that? Um, I mean, I, what I would point out, and it, it becomes um, a trend that you'll see throughout most of these, although it, it definitely diversifies as we get into later games. Um, he's a West Coast guy, man. I mean, you're right. looking at suicidal tendencies. You're looking at the vandals. Like this is this is the Bay. This is Cali. Right. Um, he he's definitely leans into his love of that West Coast skater punk um, scene. I, there's not a lot of hip hop on this early one. No. Um, you see that come in more later on, but um, it, it's it's a, it from from top to bottom. It's a great soundtrack. Yeah, I don't think there's any hip hop on the first soundtrack, Mm-mm. is there? No, there's, there's so. definitely notable bands: the Dead Kennedys, uh, Suicide Machines. Uh, you mentioned the Vandals and Goldfinger. Um, the other one that stuck out to me as a band that I hadn't even um, gotten into yet, but ended up getting into quite a bit after that, is Unsane. And Unsane is a just noise rock 
loud band from New York and they're just brutal. And mm-hmm. a friend of mine had a couple of their CDs and he turned me on to them. And uh, not only is it just absolutely amazing driving music, particularly if you're angry about something, but it turned mm-hmm. out to be fantastic skateboarding music. Um, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think they actually have a music video that's just people getting severely injured doing skateboarding <laughs> tricks or attempting okay. skateboarding tricks. Um, cause all their album covers are pretty violent. There's, you know, it's like bloody crime scenes and stuff like that. That was just mm-hmm. kind of an overarching theme of theirs. So it, it was fitting that they were, you know, on the Tony Hawk's pro skater soundtrack. And one of their music videos is just people wiping out and getting just all messed up, you know, having, <laughs> having serious injuries happen to them. Yeah. And then, after that, in 2000, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 came out, and this is when things started to get a lot bigger. People started mm-hmm. to realize, oh, like getting onto the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtrack is it's like a golden ticket. It's like people yeah. all over the place, millions of people are going to hear your song. Yeah. I mean, we've delved into this a little bit on in other conversations, and I'm sure we'll hit it a bunch of other times, but you have to take yourself back to the time of uh, MTV, but not really a whole lot of internet. You know, you had the internet, mm-hmm. you had maybe some Kazaa and stuff or LimeWire. Like you were, you were messing around and downloading stuff, but it was, uh, it was the wild west. Um, right. And so you didn't have your Spotify's or your Apple music's and your algorithms that were feeding you things. And these bands weren't getting radio play. Um, no. And, and you also, you look at the rollout of these, uh, these games. I mean, they were one after the other every year. There was a yeah. Tony Hawk game every it, year. It was such a success that every single year. And so every single year you had this new crop of bands that suddenly got this look. Um, and it, yeah. it was the biggest thing, unless you were getting some kind of overnight funky airplay on much music, um, or, or like the, what was the after dark stuff on MTV where you saw like 20 minutes. Yeah. Like I'd see the dropkick Murphys or something maybe on there, but, um, you really didn't see or hear a lot of that stuff. And this was the biggest mainstream exposure for these bands. Um, and with this kind of regularity is, is insane. But yeah. I think, I think you're right at this again, I'm speculating here, but you start to see some things pop up on this soundtrack and look i liked power man 5000 i was really yep. into rob zombie and i was like oh i could listen to sci science fiction rob zombie his brother is doing his what he's doing but with sci-fi space stuff instead of zombies and creepy horror stuff yep. um but like i would assume that tony hawk did not put that on there i mean that album came out right before this and I'm guessing it was part of a marketing push. I would also say that Papa Roach probably was put on there because of a marketing push by their record label to get onto this Um, savvy marketing teams seeing the opportunity here and trying to get you know, the right song by their artists onto these things. But I, I do think that for these next couple albums, there's definitely still a lot of genuine stuff getting on to here um, I mean, I look, Gorilla Radio is huge. We talked about huge Rage hit. already. Mm-hmm. Um, huge hit, but but on there. Um, I, I would first go to You by Bad Religion. I, I you know, I, I love Bad Religion. I don't 
listen to them a ton. I definitely come back to them every so often. Um, I think Greg Graffin is fantastic. He's a great songwriter, great performer. He's super smart. He's like a college professor. He's written a bunch of books on evolution. Um, but this is a song that uh, just like uh, Superman they have mm-hmm. to play live now. Like they, yeah. he has said, like I, if I don't play you, people get bummed. It's a hit, even though it was never a hit. And again, right. this was ten years before this game came out. This song was released. Right. Yeah. Um, ten years later, it was kind of bestowed upon them that their song was going to be a cultural moment in Tony Tony Hawk Pro it's Skater. It's the too. Tony Hawk phenomenon. It is. Yeah. It became a thing. Um, the the standouts for me on this album. I have to mention Bring the Noise by Anthrax and Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. This this is another one of those songs that that song is from 1991. It had been mm-hmm. almost 10 years since that song had come out. And um that was in the that was the very early stages of the whole rap rock fusion yeah. um that started in the late 80s early 90s and you know objectively Bring the Noise is a much better song than Walk This Way by Run DMC. I love <laughs> Run DMC. Sure. I adore Run DMC. I have Run DMC records. They're one of my right. favorite groups of all time. Walk This Way is not a very good song. No. <laughs> and to have Bring the Noise it, it, and have this be the first record, or um, have this be the first Tony Hawk soundtrack to feature hip-hop music, Having that on there, I think, was just perfect to yeah. meld those two worlds and have the, you know, the skater punk, rock uh, punk and ska guys get exposed to this hip hop music and then maybe have, you know, the pop or hip hop folks get exposed to some of this more underground punk music. Um, it was it was the marriage of these two different worlds. And so I think that song is is perfect to have on there to to be yeah. like the the flagship of that. Yeah, um, there's definitely uh, I mean, so there's a lot of that kind of genuine punk scene. Um, I was going to Warp Tour at this point and. I was seeing these band names um, on posters. I was seeing them on like handout flyers or CDs that were being tossed at me as I exited shows. Um, and then to, to hear like a, a, a curated song that's picked by someone of the Swinging Utters or Lagwagon. Um, right. It was it, it was like an, a great one two punch. Again, it, it does in hindsight look like a really smart marketing ploy, um, but it feels genuine still. So I'm going to go with it. Um, it, right. it definitely was a way of like you've seen you've heard the name, you know, they play with the bands you like. Now, here's a song that we think you're really going to like. And now suddenly you're a fan of this band. It, right. was, it was very, very smart. Um, the other thing that I'll kind of point out here is that you have the licensing mess start to come up, um, which we don't need to delve into too much, but when they go to reissue this now and, and have recently tried to revisit this, you have the, the Daria condition, if you will, if you're familiar with it at all, where Daria on MTV, the music in it was so important to that mm-hmm. show. And then when you go back and try to relicense it, not only is it crazy expensive, but you cannot 
find some of these people or or it's a it's an amalgam of folks that just make it impossible to come together and so right. when they've tried to reissue this and remake this and the, and on this current thing that's coming out for switch um b-boy document is not on there because if you look at that i mean that was off of a mixtape um by the high and mighty featuring most deaf and mad skills so you've got five or six people in the mix plus it's off of a, an oddball mixtape like they there's no way to get that done from a right. legal standpoint um so you do have these unique situations where you're only going to have the experience of playing tony hawk pro skater listening to b-boy document in there if you're playing the original thing or right. if you're just throwing it on in your headphones while you're playing the new version you can yeah. just do that you too can now. Do. <laughs> yeah of course yeah but it's interesting to talk about and you know we you see that happen too with like for example old saturday night live episodes where whether it's streaming online or the dvds or whatever where they couldn't get the licensing for the music so they just cut out the musical guest portion of the show so i, I can't imagine the legal headaches that would you know pop up with this kind of thing yeah I remember this being my first uh, introduction to Fu Manchu. <laughs> um, <laughs> Evil Eye was a big song. And then I remember seeing the album at uh, Newbury Comics. So I picked it up and uh, that began my kind of love for Fu Manchu in that kind of style of, I don't know if you want to call it stoner rock or skater rock or or what have you, but um, I, I used to love Fu Manchu and I, I still do, but I used to listen to them a heck of a lot. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, really, really amazing artists on this album. Um, I mean, obviously Rage Against the Machine, hardly even need to touch on them. You know how big and influential they are and mm-hmm. Gorilla Radio being like the, the menu selection, uh, main theme song of the, the, the game basically. Yeah. Um, that was huge, but you've got naughty by nature on there. You mentioned power man 5,000. Um, it's just nonstop, really, really amazing artists on this one. And then the very next year, as you mentioned, we get Tony Hawk's pro skater three, 2001. I love this game. I mean, this is the one I personally um, I dug into real hard, and I, this is I, I lost weekends to this game. Man. Oh yeah, like I uh, like I think that they perfected. Uh, this isn't a video game podcast, but I think they perfected that kind of exploration that you're talking right. about. The levels were much bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like and the the kind of was it the revert to manual it let you chain things so much that was so gratifying um to be able to just get these ridiculous things to do where you were flying up in a haunted mansion Mm -hmm. and stuff yeah (laughs) yes um it started to get a little crazy (laughs) yeah but the soundtrack was so good again it gets Um, even better it does. It does. And it's weird because, I, you know, I mentioned seeing Alien Ant Farm. I, I, I forgot, like, they do have a great song on this. It's such a random yep. deep cut song from that first album, but it's really good and catchy. Um, and it fits. You do start to see uh, some of the, the skater culture friends come in. I mean, CKY was yep. uh, you have to think about the jackass era that we were all kind of immersed in at that time too. We were all living this skateboard life, both on TV and in our video games and Jess yep. Margera's band, Bam's brother. I think it is. Um, that was his band. Yep. Um, 
Uh, but yeah, there's so much good stuff on here. Great hip hop. I mean, KRS One, oh, um, Red Man. Hip-hop. Yeah, great hip hop on Del. this one. I, yeah, and then um, yeah, you just hit after hit on this. I, you know, I was familiar with Motorhead, but skateboarding to Ace of Spades, I, I would put <laughs> that on perfect. over and over again. It was so good. Yeah. Well, I mean, what what were your songs off of this? Well, that was definitely my first introduction to Motorhead, so let's start there. Um, but um, there's a band called Ozo Motley on this uh, soundtrack, and I feel like I feel like they are so underappreciated. Ozo Motley, for those that don't know, is kind of, and they actually just put out a single a couple months ago. Like they're still mm. doing stuff. They are. You, you can't really call them a super group, but they're a group of musicians that if you're at all into any kind of genre bending, mixing, you know, they are a Latin hip hop, jazz, funk party band. And um, Cut Chemist is in the band. And uh, this song, Cut Chemist Sweet, is one of the, you know, sort of a turntablist style song. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was uh, a, a fan of theirs and I'm so happy to hear them on the on the soundtrack. It wasn't my first time hearing them, but um, I actually think the first time I heard them was on a, a CD sampler. But um, it, it's just so fun. And it's a little bit of a breather because most of the music is pretty aggressive. So to have kind of more of a fun, upbeat sounding, uh, song was, was great to have on that album. Um, also on there is Reverend Horton heat, you know, the, um, probably not the King, but you know, maybe the crown prince of rockabilly music. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I remember going to a Reverend Horton heat show and, um, you know, getting, getting knocked over and having beer spilled on me and coming home and having to explain why I was 18 years old or 19 years (laughs) old coming home from a concert smelling like stale beer. But, um, you know, so that'll always stick out in my head whenever we talk about Reverend Horton heat, but, you know, having that kind of thing, you know, uh, uh, that was also an older song and to have some legit rockabilly on that album, it just kind of expanded um, the the sonic landscape there a little bit. Um, also, the Mad Capsule Markets, which we talked about a little bit yeah. off air. Um, they had a, a weird little um, brush with fame in the late 90s, this interesting Japanese, um, electronic punk band. I don't even know what genre you would fit them in. Um, Mm -hmm. but to have just this interesting stuff, uh, along with heavy, heavy hitters like house of pain, uh, AFI, um, just Rollins band, real hot chili peppers, uh, really diverse soundtrack as, as they started to expand what you could do in the game, they really started to expand the scope of the soundtrack. And yeah. uh, it was really, really fun. Yeah, I this is the one where I actually went out and bought um, music based on this. I bought the Body oh, wow. Jar album. I bought oh, the nice. AFI EP. Like, I definitely listened to this and I was like, these songs are catchy as heck and I need to figure this out. And again, like if it if they like I had to go and kind of special order it from my borders like the only record right. store that i had in the area was like a i don't know if you have borders but it's like a barnes and noble or whatever and they had a decent uh 
music section, but I had to go and ask them to to order this for me because otherwise yep. I needed to find a way to get it on the internet at the time. Um, yeah. and, I remember and so ordering I to, stuff I, from Borders. Yeah. Yeah. So I would go to Borders and I'd ask them to order the Body Jar album for me, you know. Um, but yeah, I there I, I in kind of preparation for this going back to these songs I, it, I, I'm in the game, you know, I, that yep. like amongst the madness, the next men, I don't know who the next men are. I don't know, but like amongst the madness, but you know, I, the song <laughs> I can, I can see myself on the cruise ship, like, yep. sk- like skating around the edge of the deck. Like it's yep. so good. Yeah. It's, it's funny how the, the audio completely brings you right back to wherever mm-hmm. you were. And, you know, even though it was a virtual place, you're still there. It, it brings yeah. you right back there, whether it's a, a haunted mansion or a cruise ship, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And then very next year, once again, we get Tony Hawk's pro skater Four. Mm-hmm. um, this is one that I did have on GameCube. I believe mm-hmm. three I had on the Dreamcast, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Um, cool. but I had, yeah, I was a Dreamcast guy and, um, Tony Hawk's pro skater Four uh, was right when I started collecting GameCube games. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's the only one that I had, um, on a Nintendo console actually. Um, cause the, the, the Nintendo 64 versions of the Tony Hawk games were not quite as good. And mm-hmm. I think part of it was just this, the size limitation of the cartridge. There were yeah. certain songs, like there weren't as many songs, I think, I think when you listen to Jerry was a race car driver, it's just like a a 10 second loop of the song and not the full song. So stuff like that, you know, they were just, they were just objectively inferior versions of the game. So Tony Hawk four being my first GameCube game. And that time of my life, I was just playing a lot of video games. I didn't have as many responsibilities. I was out of college and um, I played this one a lot. So this, this is probably the most memorable soundtrack for me. Yeah. Um, there's a uh, lot of really good music on this album. There are, there's, th- this is also, you start to get into this um, thing where they were able to cram so much more onto the PlayStation right. discs than they were on GameCube. So when you look down this list that we're looking at, anything with an asterisk is PlayStation only, which is so much music. I mean, like yeah. I didn't have it's the like PlayStation the version. Yeah. And I like, I'm kind of jealous of the people who were playing it on PlayStation because right. they did get run DMC. They did get ACDC. They had system this of a down song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still, there was a lot of great stuff on this. I mean, the songs that, that we did have on the GameCube, cause I, that's where I played it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, were really great. I mean, I love hot water music. I'm a huge fan. Um, yeah of 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 chuck and so yeah i i think and just again this is probably the last of the games that i played a ton of and the last uh that seemingly had this this genuine kind of stamp on their soundtrack um yeah Yeah, i don't think i played any of them after four yeah you see a lot of these bands on there and they they still fit with everything that we talked about before here you see nwa and you see system of a down like you said run dmc like some of these bands uh sex pistols yeah it's a it's uh, this list is so good yeah i love the rocket from the crypt song sawa fair Mm -hmm. on this album um that was my first introduction to them and i became a really really big fan after that um, rocket from the crypt is 
I guess you could call them just a hard rock band that happens to also have a horn section because they don't play ska music. No, they're not ska. Yeah, they're a hard rock. They don't play ska. They're a hard rock band that happens to have a horn section. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) I just thought that was really cool and unique. And um, that that's where I learned about them. Um, Anything else on here that just jumps off the page at you? I mean. Again, you have just like that, you have things like Iron Maiden, which I wasn't that familiar with, but like I I wasn't just like Motorhead before was introduced here and then kind of learned more about them after the fact. Um, Love Less Than Jake talked about that before. Um, but yeah, I uh, it does make me miss that that era. This was I graduated high school this year. I brought uh, three and four with me to college and played mm-hmm. them a bunch then. Um, and so I have a, just a ton of fond memories uh, of this kind of this era. Absolutely. I was also really happy in hindsight because I didn't recognize it and it wasn't a song that jumped out at me at the time when I was playing it. But almost 20 years later, being a huge Aesop Rock fan and Mm. seeing that he was on the soundtrack, I'm like, oh, man, that must have been huge for him at the time. Yeah, Uh, because back then I didn't know who he was and I I wasn't really listening to a bunch of hip hop at the time. But now he's one of my favorite hip hop artists, period. So, um, that is really, really cool to look back and see like, Oh, his, like one of his really early albums, um, probably got a lot of attention because of this. And I kind of, I missed that at the time, but I'm happy to be a a huge fan now. Um, his most recent album, uh, spirit world field guide has been just on repeat for the last four or five months or so here. And uh, I love it. And I'm, I'm really glad to see that. Well, this Turned out to be quite a long episode. Yeah. (laughs) We had a lot to talk about. We did. And we honestly could have even dug deeper into the individual songs and the individual bands, but, you know, it would have been a seven-hour episode (laughs) if we did that. But, uh, yeah, this was so much fun, and it's really making me excited to uh, dive back into playing Tony Hawk 1 and 2. I can't wait. Yeah, I I also don't know if there's been and again like I'm heavily a Nintendo gamer. I don't have other consoles, so I also have a limit on my exposure to some of the broader releases that have come out over the years, but I don't know if there's another series that's done licensed music like this. Again, EA definitely put stuff in their sports games, uh 2K, the, their games a, a bunch of that, but I don't think that there's anybody else that that has ever done it. This was such a such a, a moment that everything kind of aligned in such a pure way. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was really cool to to revisit this both from a personal uh, standpoint, but also just kind of looking at it as um, uh, a big a big moment for this scene to kind of like Definitely. supplement everything else that was happening culturally. Um it was it was super important. And again, like I yeah. it it brought me to CBGBs ultimately, you know, like it made yep. me the fan that then went out to like the reason I went to Warp Tour was because I was exposed to these bands and I found the brand and went along with it. And um, so, yeah, it, it uh, it's exciting. I like just like you, I'm excited to 
go back and revisit it. I really want to boot up Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 on my GameCube. Oh, soon. you should do it. <laughs> I should definitely go back and see if I still have any muscle memory. I mean, it's 20 years now and you know that like it's degraded at some point, but I'm hoping that there's still something there where like I get the feel back cuz you got into the the groove, right? You like right. you figured out when to click what and when to to flip and hit like the up down B to do your crazy move that doesn't exist in real life um and net you a ton of points um and so yeah i'm 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 excited to to like re-experience that and see what this uh this re-release this remake yeah, is all about yeah i feel like it's such an easy game to pick up and learn anyway that it'll just be like riding a bike yeah um, I think but so. yeah i'm i'm just as excited about hearing the soundtrack as i am about playing it so uh Fun times, definitely. I'm glad they're bringing stuff back like this. And mm. it's very timely as well. Summertime, uh, it's time to relax, listen to some cool music, pretend to be a skateboarder again. It's all, <laughs> all coming to a head. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Retro Groove. Retro Groove is part of the Retro Logic Network. Check out the website, retrologic.games, for social links, merch, community, and more. Thank you so much, y'all, for listening, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.